Welcome to Postwave. You're here with Eric and Trevor. Today we're going to be talking about Donald Hoffman's idea that your experience may bear no resemblance to actual reality. When we look around us, we tend to see a world of well-defined objects with definite sizes and definite boundaries. But what if this appearance is just a construction that our brain has evolved to help us better move through the world and interact with our environment? So the main point of this article we're talking about is that um, reality has to be not what we see because evolution uh, by nature um, wouldn't evolve accurate perception of reality because it's wasteful. And the thing that evolution is trying to maximize is fitness. And so if mm. it concentrates all its power on the fitness and ignores the actual reality because that's very complicated, then it will be more successful. So this is uh, an article uh, on the Quantum Magazine website. Um, it's an interview with Donald Hoffman, um, who's a cognitive scientist, uh, and he studies perception and the nature of reality and, and how quantum physics might come into play with all of that. Yeah, there are a lot of other people right now. Uh, uh, Roger Penrose is one who comes to mind, who's, uh, who's like a pretty renowned quantum physicist and is also saying a lot of things about like uh quantum physics being fundamental to consciousness somehow or you know mm. um so it's, it's it's all kind of tied together with perception and and consciousness that's really cool trevor because um that's uh really in line with my own view of uh how the world is structured um and some uh a, a world view that i've picked up uh several years ago and i've been uh basically convinced of uh since so it's really cool to see uh acclaimed uh support for for those ideas uh namely for me the the biggest uh probably the most central thing to my understanding of the universe is that uh everything that exists stems from perception or from consciousness however you want to phrase that mm -hmm. um, that it's the uh, ideological reality that is precedent and that the physical is a reflection of that yeah i mean yeah and fundamentally we all we have is is our perception and and that could be completely different from you know quote-unquote what's actually out there yeah so um it struck me that there's a, a couple different perspectives you can take um of saying the same idea um or maybe they're just two sides of the same idea um and i believe i've heard donald hoffman in uh, a different source that i won't be able to quote right now um taking taking each of these uh perspectives so so yeah the the one idea is that uh 
the reality that we ex experience is not at all reflective of the actual uh, sub objective reality um, mm -hmm. and that that's a nature uh, of our subjective experience um, and uh, the uh, metaphor that uh, was uh, used prominently in, in my memory was that of the keyboard uh, the, com the computer desktop. Um, actually, Trevor, uh, do you want to explain that metaphor? Yeah. Yeah. I think about this like all the time when I'm like outside taking a walk and just like, you look at a tree, it's like, that's just like, <laughs> it's like an icon or it's like, you know, and what, what he says is like, no one thinks that, you know, that, that Microsoft word file is actually like this blue rectangle somewhere in your computer. Like it's just, it's just ones and zeros. <laughs> and in yeah. the same way, like objects are just probably just like quantum wave functions like some combination of you know i don't really know how quantum physics works but some combination of the you know all the particles that makes up the you know the being whatever it is mm. so that, that's like the underlying circuitry that we can't see um and objects are just a evolutionarily useful way for us to like interact with our environment yeah great and the the other part of this that you had already mentioned was that um, the sort of intentional logic, uh, logical understanding of the universe is not the most adaptive uh, view of the universe. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's not the best way to learn about things around us. Um, and I like to think about um, how if you had, uh, let's say you buy a new synthesizer or some other toy mm -hmm. and you it comes and you unwrap it and what's the first thing you do do you take out the instruction <laughs> manual and read through it and memorize Hell it no. And then, <laughs> yeah, no you go and you press some buttons and you see what happens yeah. and that's a much more effective way to understand the thing that you have yeah. um uh so uh but this is interesting to me because i'm not sure that this is actually a ubiquitous truth I think it's uh, definitely something that happens, but uh, I don't know if it's true in every situation. You mean it's uh, true that nothing of what we see is corresponds to underlying reality? Well, yeah. So, so uh, the, the, uh, that um, that it's more effective to approach reality uh, through trial and error rather than through logical forethought. Ah, oh. interesting. Uh, and because cause that's what we see in artificial intelligence as well uh, as compared to uh, pre-written comp computer programs. Right. Um, so like you have uh, in the traditional programming sense, you have like a program and the programmer tells it what to do and the machine does that thing. And that's really great for solved problems. Mm -hmm. um, but for not solved problems, um, a more intuitive... Uh, approach that uh, is embodied by artificial intelligence is much more effective. Um, we see this in chess where, well, f for example, as well as many other strategy games where um, the artificial intelligence uh, through machine learning has been able to learn uh, the system much more effectively than someone uh, with a, a rote program. But if you have a game of tic-tac-toe, you can write a program pretty easily that 
will never lose at tic-tac-toe and even if it's playing against the best tic-tac-toe ai you ever made it's it's still solid mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting it makes me it makes me think i forget uh which podcast this was um but they were talking about like how a lot of the progress in ai in the past you know like 20 30 years all this crazy like neural network stuff a lot of those advances are a lot uh are based a lot on just like hardware advances of just being able to like Hmm. number crunch better and like do kind of trial and error (laughs) error better you know Uh, and we actually are we're still like pretty lagging in actual like functional programming type of artificial intelligence wow that's really interesting to me because um you think about um like what it takes to develop a logical structure and like uh an actual understanding the amount of energy that goes into it Mm -hmm. and and according to uh donald hoffman's perspective that takes more energy than simple trial and error Mm -hmm. but uh you're saying that in a computer programming sense um uh which which seems to be quite true what you've just said that um the more limited computational uh ability is uh more conducive to forethought (laughs) because you were saying that artificial intelligence which uh relies on trial and error is uh only possible now with uh our higher computational ability right Um, whereas in an evolutionary environment um it's more effective to do the trial and error and to develop a structure that has a a logical uh basis is much more expensive yeah yeah that makes sense yeah i think a lot like (laughs) evolution is just like such a such a crazy thing that like literally everything that we know is because of that as humans like (laughs) yeah that we came out of out of that Mm -hmm. that uh, the logical structures that we uh employ are birthed from chaos and disorder yeah but they've they've shaped us in such like an interesting way that it's like yeah like literally like literally like sculpted our you know bodies and and stuff over like you know millions Mm -hmm. of years (laughs) like yeah it's a little crazy yeah i think we i think we have a tendency to underestimate how much of our uh the way we think is like influenced by evolution and um you know yeah how how limited we are by by uh by what evolution wants us to see (laughs) and absolutely i think that's really true um which is uh definitely my own subjective experience um but uh seems that you share a similar um similar experience yeah Uh, my friend uh just told me an interesting story about how she met her father as an adult um Mm -hmm. uh, she never knew him as a child and um found that there were certain uh psychological things that they had in common without having ever uh shared uh Uh, had the opportunity for one of them to learn from the other like for example 
they're both uh, very particular about the organization of a room and where things go in the room um and they have like uh, like like you, you you could imagine that there's many different ways you could organize things in a room and different people might have different ideas on what that are what that is but uh, in their case, they both had the same idea of where everything should go. <laughs> I am not entirely sure that this function of uh, trial and error method being more effective than logical forethought is ubiquitous. Um, I think there are certain situations in which it is very true and uh, other situations where it's not true. And why? Why do I? Why do I feel this way? Um, you ask me, Trevor. <laughs> why? Why do you um, feel that way? Like? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's because um, I have had the experience of learning a musical instrument, and I, I know you have as well, Trevor. So uh, perhaps you can relate to this. Um, in this long process over years and years of expanding a skill uh, a technical skill um, you go through phases um, there's phases of rapid growth mm -hmm. and there's uh, plateaus where you seem to be progressing very little for a very long amount of time mm -hmm. and then eventually you'll break through and have another expansion mm -hmm. of rapid growth and then you'll hit another plateau and what i've found for uh traversing this uh this uh landscape is that in the rapid growth sections it's the best thing ever to just try things and see what happens you know yeah natural selection mm -hmm. try to play it this way try to play it that way see what works use the other finger mm -hmm. um just do it and that's the best way to learn um whereas in, in in that situation you can actually really trip yourself up just trying to think about it too much mm -hmm. right oh well maybe i am uh holding my wrist the wrong way and i should no you just do it <laughs> um but if you're at a plateau there's nothing more valuable than taking a step back thinking about it logically and finding out what is the right way to progress before acting yeah yeah i know it's it's that's uh, like you're just describing like the the optimal way to like learn something which is like really interesting to think about absolutely yeah yeah and and that's what's so powerful for me about my musical practice is that it is directly analogous to learning in general yeah totally um yeah it's interesting to think about like learning across like different domains like how like how how is it different to teach a computer to play music versus like speak english like how do, <laughs> i mean and when i say play i mean like like compose or you know play things that are indistinguishable from a human yeah Oh yeah, so he, <laughs> this is cool. So he's talking about like a mathematical model of consciousness. He says, I have pains, tastes, smells, all my sensory experiences, moods, emotions, and so forth. So I'm just going to say one part of this consciousness structure is a set of all possible experiences. 
what I'm having an experience based on that experience and may want to change what I'm doing. So I need to have a collection of possible actions I can take and a decision strategy that given my experiences allows me to change how I'm acting. I have a space of X experiences, a space G of actions and an algorithm D that lets me choose a new action given my experiences. Then I posited a W for a world, which is also a probability space. Somehow the world affects my perceptions. So there's a perception map P from the world to my experiences. And when I act, I change the world. So there's a map A from the space of actions to the world. That's the entire structure. Six elements. The claim is this is the structure of consciousness. Hmm. <laughs> Which I think is is like, it's an amazing formula. It's also like, I mean, it's like, it's obviously like a like a pretty like um, um, low res version of you know what an actual theory of consciousness would look like, but like it's it's cool to, that to have yeah, some that's interesting to me because um, like definitely models like this feel like they're really uh, valuable and can help us understand the world, but at the same time. I don't think it's possible to have uh, a conclusive model of consciousness. Um, and I say that because I, I am of the personal belief that consciousness is the source of all of existence and is the, uh, the nature of all, ex all of existence. And so in order to have a model that describes all of existence, well, the only thing that has enough processing power to do that is all of existence itself that makes sense yeah i mean i <laughs> like uh i mean the way i this the way i think about it is like uh well it's, it's kind of like the, the uh anthropological principle uh could you explain that so me? that's like why so basically like so why why are the why are the constants of the universe tuned so specifically to allow life like us oh sure right and the answer has to be or the answer uh could be um that you know they're that way because we're here to observe them otherwise we wouldn't be observing them <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and it kind of you know it makes you wonder if the if uh if that's the case then like are there other multiverses that have you know and it's uh, randomly you know tweaked settings and it's like this genetic mutation thing where multiverses spawn and like change the you know mm. um the constants slightly um so yeah. it's kind of like that with consciousness right like why um uh why are you here observing this specific part of the universe <laughs> uh-huh yeah um and uh something i'm thinking about a lot is like <laughs> i'm not a religious person like um i basically uh if i have a belief about the afterlife it's that uh basically you just live your life over and over again because the only place in the universe in the complete space time continuum that you exist is in your life and therefore uh uh <laughs> at the same time though so time is an illusion right um but humans mm. are stuck in time so if you exist at every point in your life, right, at mm -hmm. all times, the only reason you're yeah. feeling the passage through time is because you're a human and your perception uh, uh, 
<laughs> makes you makes you feel the passage of time, right? So absolutely. So, but it's all the parts of your life are always there, right? Like the you know, yes, because it, it's already happened. Whether it's whether it's quantum mechanics or completely deterministic, it's all you know. It's all happening at once. Every possibility is you know happening at once, and um, mm. yeah, <laughs> completely uneducated. Uh, well. Uh, I don't know about uneducated, but uh, layman, not quantum physicist. <laughs> sure, um, but all the same, I think we can we can explore these topics without having credentials because uh, they're uh, we're exploring with uh, deductive reasoning. You can say this is this way because of that, mm-hmm. and someone can say yes that's true or someone could say no that's not true (laughs) yeah um it's a good question it's a good question of how far you could actually go with deductive reasoning like (laughs) yeah yeah so like if you take the uh uh traditionally descartian view of i think therefore i am and maybe modulate that to a more modern perspective of like I, I perceive, therefore I am. Mm-hmm. And if, if that's the central core of, of what you know, um, then what can you deduce from that about the world? What what else can you know if you know that? Right. But then you, then you get to the problem of like, uh, like if you have the, if you have the formula, like if A, then B, you can always ask mm-hmm. like, why? <laughs> You know, I just uh-huh. look at asking like why, and um... <laughs> but that's the beauty of it because um, if you start with with this a firm footing, you have uh, always the answer of because it's that way, <laughs> right? Well, that's right? what that's what an axiom is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure, yeah. yeah, it gets kind of uh, tautological, yeah. If if you keep wrapping it o- yeah. over itself, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's valid. I think that you can uh, learn a lot uh, and you can speak a lot of truth about the universe with those terms. Yeah, it's definitely useful. Um, have you, uh, I was actually listening to um, a little bit of like Roger Penrose before this and he, um, I think it's interesting to bring in because he like, he, um, he firmly believes that like consciousness is not, computation because there are parts of the brain that are Mm. obviously computing things but aren't conscious absolutely i agree entirely yeah um and that's what gives him the uh the reason to say it is this quantum some kind of quantum interaction yeah and that that actually ties in with uh i feel like uh as a culture our understanding of what constitutes intelligence um with with regard to artificial intelligence you know you have um a program that knows all the moves to tic-tac-toe and so it can always do things well is that an artificial intelligence most people would say no it's just a computer program because all of uh, it's it's like a, a known quantity it's it's finite it's everything there it is always going to be just that um like like it's it's known from the beginning before it happens Mm -hmm. so it has no uh ability to perceive it's it's just uh mechanical 
Whereas if you have an artificial intelligence that employs machine learning, it's um, exploring, it's learning things, it's finding out about its environment and uh, making decisions based on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always wonder how much like sensory input has to do with consciousness and intelligence and like, because obviously those were like the, the main, you know, some of the main drivers that, you know, shaped the way our brains work. But like, could, could a machine have consciousness without like sensory inputs? Like, huh. I mean, because that's an interesting question, because it is true. Like if you're a human, that's if you're like locked in or something like um, you still have thoughts, but you don't I don't know if you still have sensations or not. Well, is it possible to have an an experience without any input at all? Uh, and and I I guess we'd have to generalize sensory input um, in this in the sense of artificial intelligence would include any informational input mm -hmm. as well. So if you have a program that is not receiving any information, mm -hmm. is that program running? Does it exist? I guess, yeah, maybe it's a, it's a silly question. <laughs> but I mean, like, I guess, I mean, I don't mean information coming. Yeah, I mean, I, what I mean by perception, is, I guess, is foggy. <laughs> mm. um, but uh, that that is actually, I think that's an interesting idea that you bring up um, because you can have an experience, even as a human, uh, where you can limit or expand the... Uh, your sensory input mm -hmm. um, and if you have a perspective that is not uh, receiving sensory input uh, like a close-minded clo close-visioned uh, perspective um, it sort of creates a uh, a feedback loop as you were saying where the only uh, experience it's having is of its own inner workings mm -hmm yeah and so it becomes more and more sure of that particular uh structure that it is <laughs> is the thing that there is and it, it gets a very skewed perspective on the world yeah yeah we're all yeah we're all looking at things in a very like distorted way and we don't really know that it's distorted because we don't have anything to compare it to but at the same time, at the same time, we can have varying levels of uh, distortion and we can compare those uh, experience of varying levels and see which ones are better adaptive to to living. And in that, we can sort of form uh, an understanding of which uh, perspectives are more accurate. And actually, this is kind of where I differ from Donald Hoffman, uh, Hoffman uh, in his idea, uh, because he speaks about how uh, he, he, he talks about how perceptions are simply untrue or inaccurate. Um, but I think that there's a lot more nuance there, and maybe we could say instead that our uh, perceptions are abstractions from the truth. Uh, which are imperfective, uh, imperfect uh, representations of the truth. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're not they're not totally disconnected from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, so when Hoffman says that it's impossible or nearly impossible to have a perception that is accurate, we can rephrase that as it's impossible or nearly impossible to have a perfect representation of the truth. Mm-hmm. In the same way that it's uh, impossible to have anything in this world that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. And just to add on to the end of that, that that really made me think about Terence McKenna and his view of language. Uh, he talks about how language is an abstraction of the truth and that words can never perfectly reflect uh, the speaker's true meaning. Mm-hmm. But, but at the same time, like you can use those imperfect reflections and it's enough to to get by it's enough to communicate yeah i mean it's pretty mirac- miraculous when you think about it like what it's what's actually happening that you can communicate anything <laughs> at all <Yeah. laughs> and that 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 totally um again i'm i'm going to keep coming back to david foster wallace's infinite infinite jest because it's such a comprehensive understanding of life as a human yeah in uh, infinite jest he starts out with this experience described of an individual who has lost his ability to communicate um a very intelligent individual with lots of uh very uh perceptive and uh delicately phrased uh very very beautiful language um but it's all inside his head and whenever he tries to communicate he's just making horrible disconcerting sounds that no one understands (laughs) (laughs) i can relate (laughs) yeah yeah right Uh, that's what i was thinking is like i think everyone can relate to that experience to some degree Uh, we've all had the experience of trying to communicate and not being able to express our ideas in a format that um, that other people can understand. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's it kind of reminds me of like in a chess game, like you can't really like uh, it's hard to or like the art of it is all in in looking enough moves ahead that you know what the next thing is that someone's going to say, or like you have to to re- to react to them. Mm. You have to be aware of the shape of the other player. Right. So towards the end of the article, um, they uh, pose this dilemma, um, and they ask, is space-time a fiction generated by the human mind as a convenient interface for interacting with truth, or is it an objective aspect of reality? And the, the dilemma being that we can't necessarily know that one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's sort of one of those situations where you have uh, a, a seemingly a paradox, it seems to me, but um, when you uh, look from a higher dimensionality, that that paradox becomes resolved. Um, and uh, I, I'll say what I mean here. So it seems to me that the way uh, to resolve this seeming paradox is if you consider that yourself as an individual is not limited to the kind 
the confines of the human body, um, but rather that your body consists of nothing less than the entire universe and all of matter in space time. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you accept that? Oh, totally. Yeah. Cool. Um, and just just for fun, uh, I know we're both on the same page, but I feel like this is a point where a lot of people might have resistance in accepting this this same idea and and so i just want to go through a thought process with you um so uh you someone might define their body as um ending at their skin right right they're they're the physical flesh and but blood individual that they are Mm -hmm. um but let's say you take that uh that individual and uh, put it in a frictionless uh, <laughs> environment. Uh, so your, your typical physics uh, blank slate, right? right. Yeah. No, no gravity. Let, let's say we put them in a, a universe where there's no gravity. Um, what the hell are his legs for? <laughs> the shape, like if you look down, look at the shape of your foot right. and like the flatness on the bottom that's good for pushing against a, a solid surface. Right. Like, why the hell would you be shaped that way if you were not part of an environment where you have a ground to walk upon? Right. <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> and in that very, very true sense, you have to say that the ground is a part of your physical organism. Mm-hmm. Right, that's kind of what I mean when I say like evolution has sculpted our our bodies over like millions of years. Like, mm. and, and it's like if you look at it, it's like wow, that's a very obvious like appendage for walking on this you know <laughs> plane. <Yeah. laughs> it's like with this amount of gravity and so so, so uh, and th- this uh, this may be backtracking on something we've said in a, a precursor episode. Um, uh, and sorry to interrupt. I want to hear what you were about to say. Uh, go for it. Actually, what. Oh, okay. Um, but save that thought, please. Um, so then, then the other example, um, so someone might say, well, okay, your for- physical organism, your body is defined not just by your flesh and blood, but by like what you can influence in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I can move my body, therefore the body is part of me. So what happens if you pick up a pebble so is that that pebble is that part of your body now yeah i mean i i i say i would just extend it to like your bubble of perception so i mean like because if you if you just step outside and you see like a plane like you're that you you have the sense that like there's distance but if you think if you try to just like interpret the raw sensory data as much as you can it's like there's just this like plane of like color that you know different kind of plane just like a a mirror or something it's like you know (laughs) (laughs) it's just you know this flat surface that you're seeing everything on um Mm. and distance is kind of like it's there but the like it's it's just like you touching something it's like it's that close to you if you're seeing it interesting uh so that's an interesting way to define your body is that which is limited to your uh physical perception um but here here's another question for you um let's say I posit that there's probably a galaxy that's really far away. It's beyond um, the sphere of the observable universe. 
Uh, but I think there's probably one out there, huh? Beyond the sphere of the observable universe? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's. I want to pull that. I want to pull that galaxy closer to me, assuming that it's there, which I am assuming. And so I'm going to step in the direction that I think it is. Now, as I do so, the molecules, the, the atoms that comprise my body are pulling gravitationally, and they pull gravitationally on everything around them. Uh, there is no finite distance over which gravity does not affect. Um, every single uh, atom in existence is pulling on every other atom. So if I take a step towards this uh, universe that I cannot perceive, um, if it's there, or uh, sorry, galaxy that I cannot perceive, if it's there, I am consciously and intentionally pulling that galaxy toward me. Yeah. What's, so what's your point about like self versus like how to find your body? Like, uh, My point being that this thing which I cannot perceive is a part of my body. It's a continuous... Uh, with uh, my oh, own organism. right, because it's, yeah, because it's, everything is influencing. Yeah, I mean, that's a, yeah, I mean, I there, it's either that or everything you perceive and or influence. Only Certainly. only two right answers. Okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, but uh, that, 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 that's that's a, a fair point and a, a very, uh, I, 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 so, so, so now that we're on the same page, about that uh, and our listeners as well, hopefully. Um, uh, so I can continue and say that, um, yeah, so why is the dilemma of, uh, is space-time a fiction generated by the human mind as a convenient interface for interface, uh, interacting with the truth, or is it an objective aspect of reality? Why can that be solved by uh, taking the entire universe as part of a, as your body and not just the human body. Um, well, well, you, well, you ask you ask me, Trevor. Well, um, <laughs> if you take this view, then if you were to take like an average of all of experience, uh, not just limited to the human experience, um, if you were to average every point and uh that 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 resembles an objective reality of space-time mm -hmm. uh, where the objects remain when you're not looking at them um and things more or less follow the natural laws of physics mm -hmm. um so you can have you can have uh this understanding of yourself uh, as the entire universe um, and you can have a subjective experience without uh, conflicting with the idea that space-time is a construct created by consciousness yeah that makes sense yeah it's interesting if because I've heard some people talk about like like space-time could definitely be a construct we're not sure about time like time could go either way but at least we know, like, I mean, the second law of thermodynamics kind of, like, says something about time that, like, it has to kind of go one direction in some way. Is that, uh, 
equals m a no i think that's you know it's uh it's uh entropy always increases within a uh a closed system more or less oh, okay i think um yeah so like basically like the heat death of the universe is what you get from the second law of thermodynamics like everything okay like start like you can't you can't unbake the cake you can't uh un mm. unbreak the, the glass <laughs> yeah um so time time seems like it might be pretty fundamental in that way uh, but the but then you look at a lot of the equations for physics and they work just as well backwards as, the, as they do forwards and um and some like mm. some f theories in physics have uh just like completely leave out time like it doesn't even really you know um yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be factored in <laughs> um mm. it's interesting but i think yeah i think because the i mean the big the big thing with 20th century physics is gonna or <laughs> 21st century physics is gonna be like quantum gravity mm, right i've heard that yeah i i don't fully understand what that is okay cool um so um basically so uh einstein's theory of general re relativity right is uh about uh basically it's the analogy of like the um of space-time being like the uh the rubber with like the bowling balls and stuff sure. and, and the, um yeah. uh, objects with greater mass depress yeah the rubber for yeah the... so it's getting that to work nice with quantum mechanics um especially around like black holes and things that are like really massive uh because you get uh you get like hawking radiation which is like uh even though nothing escapes from a black hole like quantum effects make it so that little uh like virtual particle pa pairs i think are like annihilating themselves and it's actually giving off radiation so that throughout uh like at the heat death of the universe the black holes will be slowly evaporating um you know over like trillions of years because of this hawking radiation um and so we don't that's part of what we don't understand about how quantum mechanics and gravity like work together um and the question is like do we need to quantize gravity or do we need to um you know do it the other way around interesting didn't didn't cern uh find a, a gravity particle so they found they found the higgs boson which i think gives particles mass um mm. yeah but that's that's different I have from no idea how that works <laughs> <laughs> it's it's i don't i don't exactly understand i mean it's it, the thing the big thing about that was it was the last particle in the standard model that they hadn't found and uh mm. basically and the standard model is like has been really successful and uh and they found the last one um and uh they're just kind of trying to break it now but like it's explaining everything so far um but they know there must be stuff they don't understand because there's like dark matter and dark energy and like all this other stuff that we don't understand yet and has to be something with you know some kind of exotic particles we haven't seen yet or some misunderstanding of gravity or quantum mechanics or um yeah um yeah that's really fascinating um i feel like i feel like the 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 thing about like quantum mechanics um that is super easy to overlook uh for me at least um and i think probably for a lot of people as well is the fact that uh, uh, it's, it's, it's in the name quantum quantizing, right? Mm -hmm. It's um, creating a grid to understand the universe. Now, if you have a universe that is on a fundamental level infinite, if you're quantizing that, 
um, you're never going to have a conclusive uh, understanding at every scale. You may have uh, quantization, uh, you create a grid and everything that fits within that grid you understand, but outside of the grid, maybe on a different scale, uh, like when you zoom in, oh, look, there's another uh, thing below that. Mm -hmm. You know, like we have atoms and if we look in closer, we have these tiny little particles and uh, quarks and stuff. And maybe when we look in there, there's like another <laughs> particle because we're like, we're never hitting it right on the nose, right? Like as soon as we uh, go in, we, we, like, have you ever looked at a Mandelbrot fractal zoom for a long time? Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Of, of course you have. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Um, and so, you know, you know how you look and there's like an object that's, uh, approaching from it looks like you're descending down into the this mm -hmm. field and there's like an object that a, a particular shape that keeps re recurring mm -hmm. and uh, you, you look like you're going straight towards it, straight towards it, straight towards it straight towards it and when you get really down to it oh no you're actually going right to the side of it right yeah <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's that way with quantization always mm -hmm. um, like it, it's like trying to uh, put a cap on an uh, irregular number. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. So you're saying it's like artificial somehow? Well, just, just yeah, yeah. That it, that it's um, like, of course, we're seeing it that way because that's where we're looking, you know? Yeah. Although, I mean, it, it yeah. <laughs> Because even if you say, well, at the bottom level, it has to be something. I mean, that's just like human, uh, based on our understanding of, of our physical world, that there has to be like a bottom level or something. At the at, you know, there has to be some little bit that it can't get smaller than. Although we, we kind of know that that exists. It's like it's called the, the Planck, Planck length. Uh, yeah, right. right. Um, which I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical about. I'm skeptical about that. I feel like um, like maybe maybe what that means really is that once you get beyond that scale our existence uh as we understand it on the on the grander scale stops making any sense that doesn't mean that there isn't any experience to be had within that scale yeah i mean but how how would you have any kind of information processing or like any kind of like well, um, w I guess what I'm postulating is that, like, we're, we're assuming that at a certain point it's empty, right? Like, when you get down to the Planck, le uh, Planck length, beca because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but as I understand it, um, like, it's as if you get down to a certain point and um, basically little tiny black holes are forming all of the time everywhere um that are so uh small that you know they just uh, they're, they're tiny universes popping in and out of existence and mm -hmm. they pop in and pop out uh rapidly because because there's very very little in them um to exist um and in fact they're so small that any matter as we understand it in our grand universe 
cannot exist uh, in that scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like maybe if you were to uh, be disembodied um, and imagine going down, shrinking down, um, and entering one of those little universes, um, I feel like if you were to keep going down into that, maybe, just maybe, there's something there. Uh, there's a little universe inside that. Have you heard? <laughs> uh, maybe. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it makes I'm me just postulating. Of, yeah, people have, like, talked about uh, Earth theorized that we might just be, like, the projection, like a holographic projection on the surface of a black hole. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy i mean like yeah if you think about like how many black holes there are in the universe and it's like oh there's this like mysterious object that's like everywhere like scattered throughout the whole universe and it what like if that's the thing that's like creating other universes that's kind of crazy to think about yeah that's <laughs> remarkable um actually i want to share um because because that topic exactly i was writing about in this journal somewhere i'm just going to read a little bit of this um perhaps you'll find it interesting all matter and energy represents data the information of my memories and personality is stored in my physical body if you observe me from certain perspectives you can restore that data when a body enters a black hole all except for hawking radiation that data is retained if you know what in if you know in what way the body entered the black hole you can theoretically reconstruct the body that is observe its representation within the black hole despite all the particles having been ripped apart um, it's kind of like, um, have you seen that thing where uh, you have like certain different colored gels of, of a particular kind of gel in a, a canister? Uh, Smarter Every Day did this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have like a, a thing stirring at a constant rate. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you have a crank and it spins it around. It like distorts and, you know, drags the stuff closer to the the uh, pedal in the middle uh, faster than the stuff away from it. And so it like takes the shape and makes a big spiral shape. Mm-hmm. But if you reverse it, it actually can go back to the original shape it was before it got all distorted, uh. <laughs> um, which is really cool. Um, but anyway, so um, if you know what, if you know in what way the body entered the black hole, you can theoretically reconstruct the body, that is, observe its representation within the black hole, despite all the particles having been ripped apart. If one observes the trajectory of all the particles that enter the black hole and uses that data to infer all of the data represented by that matter, one is in a perspective of knowledge, of omniscience about the world within as one can also know certain but not all things, in which case one is in a state of knowledge but not in a state of omniscience. So 
it is from exactly this perspective that the universe within is manifest. Using that trajectory as a constant, um, and that constant would be time, actually. Um, so, so that so we're talking about like a physical uh, perspective, uh, like a physical uh, spatial dimension, uh, a, tra a straight tra trajectory, and that trajectory would manifest as time to the inhabitants of the black hole, um, and manifesting all the information in n dimensions around it as a beam of light shining through a complex structured object where light is only admitted from certain perspectives. And I have a, a diagram here. Interesting. Wow, when, when, did you, when did you write that? This would have been, oh, um, I don't have a year here. But this was probably junior year. Cool. Yeah. Um, so you have the circle here in the middle. Is You can imagine that as the black hole. And there's squiggly lines inside representing the data, the, the matter that is inside the black hole. Mm -hmm. Now I've drawn this arrow pointing straight into the center of this circle and through it. Mm -hmm. um, and so... The way I'm kind of imagining this is that that black hole from the outside, if you go into it um, and follow this trajectory uh, straight, uh, straight following this trajectory at a constant rate, that trajectory is essentially time. Mm -hmm. And over the course of time, the universe expands or does whatever it does and grows outward. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really don't know how to respond. respond. And I go, I go a little bit further. Um, so you've noticed, you notice here, I've drawn a couple other trajectories. Uh, maybe it's, I don't know if you can see that. It's pretty faint. Uh, um, yeah. Well, there's a couple other lines that go in at angles. Like here's, one, and here's another. Mm -hmm. uh, they're just arbitrary. They're, so, so there are other trajectories that you can look into that black hole. Um, now, these trajectories are, as I mentioned earlier, incomplete. Um, they're like um, shining the light through in a way where not all, all of it's getting through. Mm -hmm. um, uh, these would be representative of uh, an understanding of of the black hole that is knowledgeable but not omniscient. Um, so now imagine you have this other trajectory, this other spatial dimension that you are progressing through at a constant rate. That, for its inhabitants, is time. So you can have multiple trajectories mm -hmm. concurrently where uh, that trajectory is time for for whoever is experiencing it. Yeah. Um, so are you saying time and space kind of switch places a little bit, or like? Yeah, or or that they they can be they they're um, it's an arbitrary distinction, and what makes time unique is that 
you're not free to move around in it. Otherwise, it would be space. Uh, I don't know about that. Oh, what do you mean? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean that's very tied to our human experience in the world. Like, like I said, like we're, I think we're tied to time because of our perception, but there's nothing intrinsic about time that, yeah, I don't think that's the thing that makes the two different. Mm. Well, cause, cause I'm saying that because, um, from a physical, uh, perspective, um, as by special re relativity, um, time is treated as identical to space, mm -hmm. um, and so, so in that sense, they're, they're basically, they're, they're the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so why would, um, why would we perceive them as different while them actually being the same? Um, well, if we, uh, look at what time is for us, it's kind of this inexorable force, right? It's moving forward. Yeah. And never backward. You can't mm -hmm. go back and change things, right? You can't unbake the the, right. the cake. Um Right. And so Yeah. But I'm saying that's that's only a product of uh like okay, so maybe this is a weird or not a non existent distinction to make, but like yes, entropy exists and will tend to increase and you can't unbake the cake. Um but that's just like the sequence of events, but they still like all exist at the same time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like um, theoretically at any given point in space time, you could draw a different trajectory of time crossing through that point, And you could have an entirely different experience of life um, by an entirely different being which intersects the exact same point of space-time that you are. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, yeah, there, like, perception isn't limited by, by, like, our, our, um, <laughs> the way we, we feel like consciousness is limited to, like, our, our brains. Makes sense. Yeah, right. Yeah. And to me that that actually really verifies the perspective of um life of, of, of existence um being timeless and of existing in any given uh point in space time perpetually, mm -hmm. um, not being intrinsically driven onward through time. And yet and yet we experience time driving us on intrinsically mm -hmm. and so uh, <laughs> what are we gonna do about that yeah uh, <laughs> it, it, uh, i feel like it has to i mean maybe it doesn't have to figure into our understanding of the universe maybe it's totally fine to have an understanding that says oh doesn't matter yeah <laughs> i i don't know if i'm i like thinking about it but i don't know if i'm educated enough to like guess about what it actually is <laughs> mm. Well, you know, uh, Michio Kaku um, writes about um, how he got into theoretical physics. No, no, not Michio Kaku. I'm sorry. Um, Feynman. Was it? F I believe it was Feynman. Uh, talks about uh, in an interview. He mentioned um, how he got into theoretical theoretical physics as a child. 
mm-hmm. uh, and he read a book. Um, he read a book, and at the end of the book, it said, further research is needed. We don't fully understand this yet. And mm-hmm. so he said, oh, okay, the smart little kid goes. I'll let me let me see if I can understand it. And he studied up, and he came up with his own ideas. <laughs> a kid, you know? Yeah. So I feel like um, it's it's actually can be really valid to talk about things even even if you don't have the credentials um maybe maybe these ideas um can hopefully spark uh some understanding in someone who uh, other people who can uh manifest it in different ways yeah yeah or at least curiosity absolutely yeah uh, okay so uh this this is a little bit of a stretch, but it is just some postulations that I've I've written in my journal in the right. past. So uh, we have this uh, these different cross sections uh, of time crossing through this uh, membrane of a black hole. Each each trajectory taken through represents another passing through space time, mm-hmm. and you have these happening concurrently. So you have these other experiences in the same universe as you that you cannot perceive. Yeah. That are that are like in places that you are. There's something there, mm-hmm. but you can't perceive it. What does that sound like to you? Uh I don't know, spirits. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Well, sure, you can definitely take that. And actually, I think that's a really uh, valid uh, thought uh, to explore. But I was going more in the direction of dark matter and energy. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Um, Interesting. Here's where I am looking back at this journal I wrote several years ago. Like, it seems interesting. I don't know if it's true, but at the same time, I also have no reason to think it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, do you, how much do you know about like astrophysics and stuff? At the time, I was uh, reading a lot of Michio Kaku and uh, listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson. At least I felt like I knew some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> at least yeah, on a, inter- a layman's term perspective. It's interesting. So you're, you're saying there's kind of like multiple universes existing on top of each other all at once or is it? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, de- it depends on what you mean by right on top of each other. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> well, like, what? yeah, go on. <laughs> because like some people will say like, look, even locality is like not uh, fundamental. Like the idea mm. of two things being, uh, you know, next to each other and only affecting the things next to, you know, you only affect the things that are touching you directly and then that affects the other things. Um, that's not necessarily important to understanding how the universe mm. works. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. If you have, if you have uh, an identity like a physical organism um, and uh, w- with a very particular set of experiences and personality, and then you have a duplicate of that, in such a way that's reflected symmetrically within the universe so that it is actually in every conceivable way identical. Mm -hmm. 
is it in the same place? Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't think necessarily. I mean, like basically, uh, I think it also it does also ties back to like what, what how you think quantum mechanics actually plays out like whether you think it's many worlds or like whether it's the copenhagen interpretation which depends how you interpret quantum mechanics so the copenhagen is is interpretation is basically um that uh the wave function collapses once you observe it right or once it interacts with the system the the term observer is kind of a weird word um Mm. um and then many worlds is that it's constantly branching and everything exists at once yeah <laughs> um right so as far as like locality is concerned if it's everything's happening at once then it's just this huge wave function that's just dividing over and over again like i think about it like harmonics on like a guitar string or something it's just like mm. it's yeah because kind of this one function and locality is is not something that matters as much mm. like time time could be more fundamental than than locality which is interesting yeah and and if it is and and if we believe time to be uh, a construct or an illusion then what does that tell you about the perspective which is not to say that at all that it's invalid just uh it kind of um, may may speak to some uh put put putting it into its own per, uh perspective i'm using the word perspective a lot <laughs> <laughs> that's just your perspective well perspective <laughs> so I, I think i mean one of the one of the most exciting things about talking about this kind of stuff is that we will probably get some kind of answer to these questions mm. hopefully within our lifetimes assuming we, we live to be you know in our 70s I kind of would. All this stuff about consciousness and, and like, I mean, obviously we won't know the fundamental, fundamental nature of reality, whatever that means, you mm-hmm. know, maybe forever. Um, but yeah, at least it's at, at least um, all this like perception and consciousness stuff. I feel like it's inevitable that it'll, it'll get worked out with AI mm. or, or at least we'll see, or at least we'll, we'll know more about it after having built like really powerful AI systems that are like able to interact and perceive the world in really like meaningful ways. Absolutely. And I'm really curious to see how our culture will adapt to embracing these ideas about the fundamental nature of reality. Yeah. Um, I think that, that that was a really big transition for myself, uh, going from a more traditional um, assumption about the the way the universe is structured to kind of realizing, oh crap, it's all just uh, uh, s- smoke and spiders string, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good place to end. Yeah, I think that about wraps it up. Yeah, good times. Yeah.